Welcome to the Human Capital Lab, a podcast for learning and development leaders who understand education is the link between employee fulfillment and corporate productivity. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Epler. Let's get started. In a previous episode, we discussed talent development in global organizations. Today, we will take a deeper dive and talk about issues ranging from DE&I to impact measurement. Dr. Eli Benetasher is a strategic results-driven people and culture and learning and development thought leader with international experience in global talent management, human resources, learning and development, coaching, mentorship and leadership, people and performance analytics, product development, data analysis, and storytelling. Eli has over 21 years of experience in both technical and educational leadership positions in a variety of organizations, including the high-tech industry, academic institutions, and governmental agencies. As a scientist and an award-winning lecturer who believes in data as the driver of the best business decisions, Eli presents a unique approach to L&D that drives organizations to be on top of industry standards in today's new workplace era. Eli is an expert in scaling high-growth organizations like Wix that are focused on strategic execution, operational excellence, and driving transformative change. The first time I met Eli, I recognized him as a dynamic, authentic people leader with a track record of building high-performance teams and establishing cultures of accountability and continuous improvement. The best part of Eli's passion is to empower people, solve business problems with scalable tech-enabled solutions, launch innovative products to market, build collaborative relationships, and just create great people, employee, and customer experiences. Eli. Welcome to the Human Capital Lab podcast. I'm so excited to speak with you again, and I am confident our listeners will benefit from your vast experiences and insights. Thank you, Michelle. It was just great being here. Thank you for having me. Missed you. I missed you too. Let's chat, shall we? Let's do it. I have a few questions here. First, I really do believe our listeners would benefit from hearing about your career path, your degrees, your previous experiences are quite eclectic, and your career journey shows there's just more than one way to become a chief learning officer. So please tell us about your background, what led you to become the CLO, head of global learning and development of Wix.com. So yeah, my background is very unique to other LD professionals out there. Um, so it's kind of funny. I always love education and and learning and even when i was in lower school i just was so inspired by my teachers and they really changed the course of my career and i'm still in touch with some of my teachers back then but i also very i was a very nerdy kid and i loved science and i um just decided i want to be an engineer and solve problems and help the universe with that so i uh, became an engineer Worked as an engineer and uh, a research um, in um, Ministry of Defense in Israel, originally from Israel. And after that, I said, you know what, let's go and do academia. I did my PhD. I wanted to be a professor. I want to educate the next generation. And I love doing that. 
but eventually, you know, I felt like academia is kind of limiting myself and I'm a real lifelong learner and I always want to learn new things and teach new things. So I decided to take my L&D skills to the corporate world, tech world, where I am no longer a subject matter expert, but I can still learn new technology, educate people about new technology and get my instructional design and creating a learning experience within the corporate world to employees. And that was really my passion. It really changed people's lives. And it's a great opportunity to do that while they're having their career journey. So I found myself in the tech world learning myself a lot about how it is different to, uh, you know, adult learning. You have the uh, university academia learning, but you also have, you know, on the job learning and employees yes. that need to be successful, that need to grow their career. How do we impact their performance, but also their personal growth? And this is something that fascinated me. And I started learning more than just like the technology and everything behind it. It's really about the soft skills and the leadership, really understand uh, people way of thinking, but I'm a people's person. So I just love that. And compared to academia, which I felt a little bit more isolated and lonely, I love what I'm doing now, working with a lot of people, impacting people's lives in a different way, but it's still something that I was always passionate about throughout my career. I can imagine how someone with all of your different experiences and desire to learn so many different things might feel a bit siloed in academia because you're surrounded by your subject matter experts and you yeah. don't really kind of get out and get to interact with the art people or uh, <laughs> the, the programmers yeah. or right this way you get to meet with all kinds of different people and learn from them. It also helps that, you know, in order to teach something, you have to learn how to do it. And there's nothing that puts more pressure on you than having to deliver on a topic and make sure that the training works if you don't know it yourself. So exactly. plenty of opportunities to you learn there. It. And also I changed industries throughout my L&D career because you can be in L&D and even in the tech world, you have, you know, uh, digital marketing platforms, video platforms, software, different types of technologies. And you can just learn new industries, new technologies everywhere, every time I change jobs and careers. So it's funny, I get to learn so much and I can get to pass along uh, knowledge and information to others as well. So back to one of those first days when you started your L&D role, what is one lesson learned that you had from that first role that you still follow today? Even from my academic career, what I learned is about you have to really know your audience. I mean, I had a few deer in the headlights moments, and I think that in order to create really successful learning programs, workshops, courses, and whatnot, you really need to do the research and understand who is your audience, the demographic, prior knowledge, what makes them tick. Of course, it's easy when you have a very homogeneous audience, but even when you have a very diverse group of learners, I always ask myself these questions before I start any LME project. I ask, by the end of this learning experience, what do I want the audience to know, to think, to feel, and then do? So if I'm able to crack that, even if I have a very diverse learning group, my training is going to be successful. And yes, training can create an emotional response that will stick with you even after you went through that learning experience. 
See, that's one of the things that I hadn't even thought about when we're developing even our courses is the feeling. Yeah. Right. That feeling. That's the part of the takeaway, right? Of, of how you ensure that they're engaged. It's like marketing, you know, good commercials, good marketing is a campaign that can create an emotional reaction with people. It can be even like disgust or something that's very surprising or something that's very even sad. But if you can create that emotion, the emotion is what sticks with us. That's what makes us remember this. And you want people that after a training to have a memorable experience because you want them to do something afterwards and they're not yes. going to do anything if they don't remember what they just went through. Right. That application is the key. Yeah. Right. So we were on a panel some months ago where we discussed how global learning and development teams are organized and that some are centralized and some are decentralized. What advice would you give new global CLOs working in a centralized design? And you also had some very good insights as to what those who might be doing differently in a decentralized design would do. I actually think the combo of these two is the best way to go. Now, specifically at Wix, we're very decentralized L&D. We are a few L&D leaders that we had a different company or a different domain. We have a separate OD. We have a separate L&D for the R&D teams that need very specific care. We also have people who are leading all of our external training for our customers and everything that's external. I specifically manage all the internal employees that are customer-facing employees, all the business side. And it's about 3,000 people at Wix. And this is very, very challenging because eventually I'm in charge of all the revenue-generating roles within Wix. So this is kind of like the holy grail. And this is why I have a huge, huge, huge team. So... We are decentralized in L&D, but even within my own team, which is pretty big, I have a lot of teams. I also have a combo of centralized and decentralized within my own team, meaning I have some teams that are centralized and I also have some teams that are decentralized. Because we're a global company, we have to make sure that we create a lot of global programs, but we have to have those local regional customizations and changes and tweaks that are very specific to the site itself, to the culture, to the roles we have there, the responsibilities that the employees have there, and really try to modify things on a local level. So we have people who work on things on a global level as kind of a concept of what we want everyone on a global level to know, to be able to do. But then my decentralized teams in the different sites, they go and they localize it and they change it to make it really tailored to the specific region needs and also examples, even the language, a lot of things can be different. So it's important to have centralized L&D in a way, but it's also very important to have decentralized kind of hubs that will help you really achieve the local success. That makes complete sense. Going to another panel that we have participated together on, that is the DE&I panel discussions. And yeah. I had quite a few takeaways from some of your comments. And so our audience can have a shared understanding with what we're talking about. Would you first share how you describe DE&I programs and what most DE&I programs include inside global organizations? I think in a global organization, you have to have a lot of task forces. I mean, we have uh, DNI squads, working groups, the DNI collective. Each one is dealing with a different aspect of DNI and attacking it in their own domain. So, for example, I'm 
a part of the working group that is related to education. So we're doing all of the DNI training programs that are important for us as WICs because it's not just about general DNI stuff that you want to do. It's really about what is the best DNI approach and programs for your specific organization. So we're creating a lot of relevant DNI programs that are not being forced. This is something we want people to be exposed to. We want to have it available. We want to educate people and give them all the information. Obviously, we're doing special occasions and special trainings when we have Pride Month or Black History Month or other important days and months within uh, the year. We also have, for example, cultural awareness workshop that we worked on that is very, very specific to our needs. Because we're a global company, the founders are actually in Israel. Our biggest uh, headquarters is in Israel, but we have a lot of Americans and sometimes even working Americans and Israelis, people in America, managing people in Israel and vice versa. That could create a lot of friction. So for us, understanding the different cultures and understanding the different languages and attributes is so, so, so important. So that was one of the biggest things we wanted to do to make sure that we all feel inclusive, we all feel something, we all understand one another. Also, we have a lot of things that relate to intersectionality and gender identity because, again, the global company in every country, they view these things in a different way. Not a lot of people are aware of all, you know, pronouns um, and, and how to really be careful with, with the language, how you approach people, what you say. So it's really about educating people to have inclusivity and a safe environment. So that's from, from that perspective. On the other hand, there's a sneaky way of DNI that's relevant to my own specific department. Because we are content creators, we have to make sure we embed DNI with all the content that we create. So we have very specific inclusive language guidelines, and we have very specific guidelines in terms of the design and the visual components that you, we put to our, um, our trainings that it's not, shouldn't be, you know, stereotypical or not inclusive. So having all these guidelines, we create content, we're very conscious about it, but we also very open to feedback. We got a few feedbacks. So we have some misses here and there when we create training that this picture was offensive or that word is not, you know, in place. And we immediately changed and tweaked that. So we're learning again, we're still, I think in the early stages of our DNI journey as, as a company, but we're trying to attack it as much as we can and trying to make it feel natural and not forced, not people saying, oh yeah, they're doing it just because of the sake of doing it. It has to be part of the culture. It has to be the part of, of who we are as a company. And then practicing that continuous quality improvement as you're... All the time. We're very agile about it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So one of the things both you and I like to do is take a look at measurements of knowing how things are going. <laughs> yeah. And so what are some of the key performance indicators our listeners should really consider when building or examining their DE&I programs? I think before anyone wants to measure anything, they need to ask themselves a few questions. First of all, what does DNI mean in my specific organization? It might mean differently in different organizations. So you have to think about what does that mean for us? Then why are we even pursuing DNI? What does it matter to us? How it relates to our story, our culture of who we are? And then once you figure that out, you have to think about, okay, what we want to achieve with our DNI initiatives. And, and again, different companies have different things they want to achieve. For example, is it diverse hires? Is it diverse leadership? Is it accessibility to all? 
Is it retention? So once you define what you want to achieve, you need to think about how we can measure those specific achievements we want to get and what kind of data will show success. For example, if you want to measure diversity in job applicants, okay? So first of all, we want to make sure that our JDs are inclusive and we invite all humans to apply. And then you can measure the pool of applicants as well and, and kind of sample it and see if there's any change with our change of how we invite people to come join our company. So these things are measurable. Obviously with retention, it's also something we can do. And diversity of leadership, again, these are statistics. You can easily understand the different minorities or other groups that you want to make sure that are included and they are part of your company. So again, define what you want to achieve and then understand each objective you want to achieve, how I can measure that success and what kind of data I need to collect to show it. One of the things that often moves me are some of the stories that you hear that these DE&I initiatives have on impacting the lives of our employees and how it really helps them engage and changes their perspectives about a lot of things. Do you have any stories that you've come across that continue to inspire you on what you're doing and the approach that you're taking? First of all, I think stories are the most impactful way to really, again, create some sort of emotion and a feeling that will stick with you. So we are always trying to bring very unique people to the table. And, you know, DNI, it's not just race and gender. There's sexual orientation. It's even the way you think or the way you do things, a personality. There's a lot beyond that. And we're trying to bring really different stories that can really enlighten people about, oh, wow, I mean, this is something that really, really inspires me. Specifically, uh, you know, I'm a white male, but I am part of the LGBTQ community. And, and as such, I, I always tell my story. Um, I think that DNI needs to be modeled by the leadership and is part of Wix leadership. I always tell my story and share with everyone I can. And a lot of people at work come to me and say, oh, because of your story, I feel like I can uh. also achieve these things and I can also uh, have a, a similar career path like you. And as part of that LGBT community and people are approaching me and, and saying that my story really inspires them as well. If you're connected with me and my story, they also inspire me. So we encourage, because we have a very diverse leadership at Wix, we encourage our leadership to really speak out and say who they are and really be upfront and be very, very open and transparent. One of the key values of Wix is transparency. And we're trying to model it even in things that relate to DNI and I feel my commitment to my own community to be represented well in my company. I believe that you do. <laughs> Thanks. So when we've been at different conferences together, one of our shared claims to fame <laughs> is that when we've presented to chief learning officers about learning program measurements, uh, they haven't fallen asleep. So can you share with our listeners your holistic approach about measurement and how you take a look at the different programs that you offer there at Wix and how you communicate success? Yeah. First of all, I'm a very data-driven professional. I come from science and data, so it is kind of in my blood. I think it's crucial 
for L&D to be basically act as a business, meaning we need to show ROI, impact, profitability. And because of that, we need to collect the right data to showcase that. So we have first party data, the things that we can easily collect. And usually L&D people, we collect, uh, you know, all the LMS data, feedback data on our courses and trainings, but we also need to find the second party data that supports our impact within the organization. And sometimes it is hard to get that because you would need buy-in from uh, the other departments. So I always try to show them why it's beneficial for them to share the data with us, because if we're able to correlate learning data and business KPIs and business success, that's a win-win for all of us. So again, we need to really think about the business KPIs first. And I think L&D people do need to be more connected to the business, understand the business, understand how the business people are working, the revenue and everything, uh, all these kind of processes, and understand how we can be directly contributing to those business KPIs that they have. So we need to prove that what we're doing really impact their business. So sometimes we can put a dollar sign and do ROI. For example, if we're doing specific training to a sales team or to uh, the support teams that need to answer more tickets in a short amount of time, we are saying, okay, let's define what we expect. And again, I'm going back to what we want people to know, uh, think, feel, and do. What we want them to be able to do afterwards and that do what they want to do we're going to say, okay, out of the training, is there any behavior change? So we can collect everything that's related to the learning experience, but then we have to measure their performance and what they're doing after the training and see if there's any behavior change. And for that, we need, again, to get that second party data. So if it's about specific performance and not necessarily business-wise, I mean, if finance need to be more effective in doing A, B, or C, or marketing needs to do X amount of campaigns, we can measure that. And then after we measure, say, oh, there's an improvement, you also need to think about, okay, how do I show that I contributed to that success? So you have to go back to the leaders or the managers and also the employees and ask them, what really contributed to your success this quarter? Is it the training? Is it your manager? Is it something else? Usually when we do these kind of things, we see that if we're doing a very customized specific training that is based on exactly understanding what people want to do, what whether people need to be able to do afterwards and say, okay, this is the behavior change we expect and this is how we can measure it. Once you figure out that and you measure if there's any improvement or if it's, there's no improvement, it's also very, very important for us to know if, if, yes. the, if the training is, is the solution or not, because sometimes the training is not a solution. A lot of people come to us and say, oh, I think we need training to be able to solve this issue. And I'm saying, really show me the data that shows that a behavior change based on a specific training will help solving the problem. Because if you do a training and nothing happens, they will blame you even though the training wasn't really the solution. So I don't wanna waste my resources and money before I can really understand what the problem is and how we see that training will be able to solve the issue and will create behavior change that will result in better performance, more revenue, and connected to our business KPIs that is being drawn by the leadership. 
So when you think about all the topics that we've discussed so far, looking forward, what do you think might be some of the future trends coming that our colleagues should consider reading up on or thinking about? Wow. I mean, that's a really good question. I think I see, first of all, a shift in the persona of an L&D professional. Old school L&D professionals, I don't think they will survive if they don't adjust and acquire the skills needed for today's new digital age, right? Okay. L&D needs to be more tech savvy because I think the ed tech, the technology now in L&D, there's so many great ones, great vendors that we're meeting at those CLOs. And in order to utilize them right, you need to be a little bit more tech savvy and understand how you can use that technology to create better training, more innovative training, and, and also scale better and be more productive and effective and, and create really good, customized, targeted training in the shortest amount of time. So we want to increase that ROI. We want to make things more efficient and productive. Also, we need people that are more data-driven. So it's very important to be data literate. People need to really figure out uh, how to deal with big data, how to understand what's the story behind the data, and then how to communicate the relevant data to the leadership. Because if you're not able to do that, you're not showing the impact, you're not showing the ROI, and then you know, you're not going to be viewed as a revenue-generating department, which this is what we need to aspire for. Because then if there are any cuts on you know, recession and, and all the things that we've been going through in the past couple of years, they won't think about cutting you right away because they understand the value, they understand that you bring money to the table. Creating that feeling that they value you and that they need you by their side is pretty important. Yes. And we can use technology for that. And we do need to understand data and collect the data and know how to address data and communicate it well. And sometimes, you know, not all data is important. We need to understand what's really important, what kind of data is related to those business KPIs. And then you can tell your story about exactly. how you're part of the community in this business that's moving things forward. Agreed. I want to thank you for joining us today, Eli. Oh my God, already? It's done. Yeah. I had so much fun. Thank you. Oh, it's just been a pleasure to have you. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow this podcast, listen to some of our past episodes, share with your L&D colleagues, and please come back and listen as we continue to discuss learning and development trends, challenges, and future and expand our L&D conversations from the C-suites to thought leaders.